Um, If you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you're with us today. Um, Today we're going to be back in the book of John, but we're going to look at it uh, with Jesus' birth in mind, um, starting something like a three-week mini-series within our John series, seeking to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Uh, And today we're going to need to put on our uh, theological big boy pants um, and our thinking caps because we're talking about all sorts of things that traditionally have been a little bit more confusing for people, um, like the Trinity uh, and Judgment Day. Uh, and the birth of Jesus, or the virgin birth, uh, as well as various other things. And so try to hang with me. You know, over, the, uh, over the past few, few months, we've been going through the book of John. Uh, but what's interesting about this gospel account is it doesn't have the manger scene or the story of Jesus' birth. In fact, the traditional manger scene uh, with baby Jesus wrapped up in swaddling clothes, lying uh, in a manger that makes for a great Christmas play with all the little kids dressed up um, like sheep and donkeys, uh, it only shows up in the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, how are we going to reflect on Christmas without the birth story? Uh, well, we do that uh, by reflecting on the one who was born, just like we do with birthdays. We celebrate the entire life of a person. And so I want you to imagine with me uh, yourself there at that manger scene uh, in the small town of Bethlehem as a bystander, just kind of looking in, uh, and you see Mary and Joseph, and you walk up, uh, and you're in this smelly manger surrounded by all the smelly animals, and at at the center of the manger scene uh, is eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, just like the NASCAR star Ricky Bobby imagined it, wrapped up in swallowing clothes, and you walk up and ask, hey, what's going on here? And you're not really sure what's happening, and so you ask, hey, who is this baby? And why is this baby so important? And then to answer that question, I want you to imagine with me, we have to use our imaginations today, you then teleport (laughs) uh, 33 years into the future, and you hear Jesus here in John 5 as a grown man answering that question, who is this baby and why is he so important? And just to remind you of the scene in John 5, uh, our text of today, it comes on the heels of Jesus' third miracle that we saw last week where Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He simply told him to pick up his bed and walked. And the man, he did just that. He picked up his bed and he walked. It was a miraculous healing. But the religious leaders at the time, they didn't like this because he healed someone on the Sabbath. And their frustration is just bizarre because this man who couldn't walk for 38 years, he got up and walked. And these religious leaders who were there, they were more concerned about him being healed on the Sabbath than this man actually being healed. Um, Thus, this cues our teaching moment in John 5 that we're in today. Look what it says in verses 15 to 18 in John 5. This is what we saw. We saw this last week. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so imagine yourself back at that manger scene. And you ask, who is this baby? You then soon find out this baby's father was not the man who was there in the manger. It's not Joseph, but rather the baby's father is the God who created the world. And and the mother, who was a virgin, miraculously had a baby. I think we could agree that it uh, it would seem like a big deal. It's a miracle. And that if that baby is truly the son of God, then we should shout it to the rooftops and tell the whole world. Uh, uh, It would be incredibly special baby. 
And that baby was not the son of God, and I think it's fair to say, then this manger scene uh, is nothing more than a lady who cheated on her husband and is trying to cover it up with some crazy story. And what we'll see in John 5 today is Jesus indirectly affirming that, yes, that baby lying in the manger was the son of God, that God is Jesus's father. And today we see that baby all grown up explaining his relationship with God, his father. And we'll see Jesus, we'll see that Jesus is far more than just God's son, but rather Jesus has been given and entrusted with incredible power and authority. In fact, we'll see that Jesus has the same power and authority as God. And up to this point in John, you know, we've already seen Jesus perform uh, three different miracles. He turned water to wine, he healed a sick boy, uh, and then last week we saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man. And now, in the second half of John 5, Jesus repeatedly references God as his father and himself as, God, as, as the son of God. In fact, nine times uh, in verses 19 to 30, our text for today, Jesus refers to himself as the son of God. And as we saw uh, in verse 18, Jesus making this claim, it was controversial. He said he was the son of God, making himself equal with God. And it says they were seeking to kill him because of this claim. And so as we think about that manger scene, thinking about baby Jesus uh, lying in the manger, seeking to prepare our hearts for Christmas, if that baby is not the son of God, if that baby is not who Jesus claims to be in John 5, then there's no reason to celebrate Christmas and it's all just a big fluke. You know, our, 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 I know our text isn't a traditional Christmas text, but if this text isn't true, then Christmas would not exist. But if Jesus is the Son of God, like our text claims, then we have an incredible reason to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and then we should tell the whole world. You know, I love all the stuff that surrounds Christmas. All the excitement around it, all of it. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And I'm not trying to be the Scrooge here, okay? Um, but the reason we celebrate Christmas is not so we can get presents, uh, decorate a Christmas tree, watch Hallmark Christmas movies, drink hot, hot chocolate, and take pictures with Santa Claus, okay? Um, Christmas is about the Son of God becoming a human, giving all the same power and authority of God, uh, and with it, bringing hope and healing to a broken world. And with that said, our main idea is that Jesus, the Son of God, has uh, has authority over all things. Jesus has authority over all things. So that, ma that baby in the manger, that's God's son. And not only that, but that baby has been given by God authority over all things. And so as we look at the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it will help us understand why Jesus is so important and why we make, take, make, uh, make such a big deal about Jesus. I mean, maybe you've wondered, why is believing in Jesus essential to entering into heaven? Why is it that the name of, if the name of Jesus is not known, eternal worship cannot happen? Y'all, Jesus is a big deal. We talk about Jesus every week here. That baby in the manger, it's, he is wildly important because without that baby being born, living, going to the cross and being raised from the dead, the world has no hope. As that said, let's go ahead and read our entire passage. And we'll break it apart, looking more at Jesus' authority. And so follow along with me, starting in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that 
you, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who uh, have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so maybe you've picked up that uh, our passage today is not a story. Um, It's a teaching moment for Jesus. It's like it's a collection of truths. And it's a, and a collection of foundational doctrinal beliefs that we must hold to as Christians. And so again, we're going to take a step into theology class a little bit today. Uh, so again, this is Jesus explaining his relationship with God to these religious leaders who want to kill him for claiming that he is equal with God. And in his response with what we just read, uh, Jesus doesn't deny this. No, he actually builds on it and he affirms it and he takes it a step further. So in our passage, there's, there's three different forms of authority that we see that Jesus has. And we're going to use, this, uh, use these as our outline for today. Number one, Jesus has the same authority as God. Uh, number two, Jesus has authority to give life. And then number three, Jesus has all authority to judge. And so that baby lying in the manger has the same authority as God. He's also, uh, he also has the authority to give life and also to judge the world. And so we're going to dive into each of these. Um, but I want to first touch on this idea of authority. Because generally speaking, I think we can agree that oftentimes authority is desired, but it's not easily given away. And if someone has authority over you, it can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the dynamics of a relationship. So we see uh, authority dynamics play out in a lot of different ways. Uh, We see it with parent-child relationships. We see it with coach-player relationships, teachers, students, employees, employers, all different types of ways. Uh, And maybe we could use some of these dynamics to help explain the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. But I want us to ask, how do we fit into this whole equation? And so we're going to think about this uh, from from a slightly different perspective. So let's think about these authority dynamics from a housing perspective, okay? Stay with me, okay? So think about this. When you own a home, you have more authority over your house than when you rent a house. Like when you rent a house, you have to ask the owner to fix things or to make improvements. Like you can't just go knock down a wall. Uh, that, that might not end well. You might get evicted, uh, possibly. But to take it a step further, when you rent or lease a house, you have uh, more authority than when you pay for an Airbnb. Okay, so I've, I've, uh, I've only been to an Airbnb. I've only booked an Airbnb once in my life without my wife's approval. Okay, so um, that one time was, was several years ago. I was coming down here on a vision trip, and it, uh, I was like, hey, I'm, we're trying to learn about this area. I, I found this place in Ebor. It was like $30 for the whole night, okay? Um, I, I'm like, this is great. Church planning on a budget. We're going to go for it. Okay, well, it was just me. Um, my wife wasn't here. So then we go in 
I drive in, uh, came in Allegiant on a book bag in a, in a car, you know, down there. It's going, it's going well. Drive in, there's like a police cars across the street. I'm really, I'm like, what's going on here? Um, so I go inside and I'm actually in, uh, there's a, a small child that welcomes me at the door. And it's like a four-year-old. She's on a tricycle and she welcomes me in. Uh, I'm a, I don't really know what's going on. I go in, they hand me a key to my room. I'm like, okay, uh, I see some plants over here. I'm not really sure what's going on over here, but I'm going to take that key. And I go and lock myself in, in this room for the night. And I go to bed. I wake up. I have breakfast with this four-year-old girl in the morning. We have waffles. It was great. Um, but all that to say, Airbnbs, they're great, right? They're great. But you can't just show up to an Airbnb and all of a sudden decide to paint the bedroom. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so as we think back to the story in John 5 with the religious leaders trying to kill Jesus, they didn't like the authority that he had. I guess we could say it seems like the religious leaders think Jesus is showing up to an Airbnb trying to knock down a wall and they don't like, they don't like it and they're coming after him. When in reality, Jesus in our passage, in essence, is showing up, uh, is showing, up showing them, no, Jesus owns the house. He doesn't only own the house, but he owns it with God. So there are two different types of authority dynamics that I want to point out. First, uh, we have the authority and relationship dynamics uh, with Jesus and God. Uh, but then secondly, how the relationship, how it affects us and our lives. And as we reflect on this, we need to honestly ask, what level of authority does Jesus truly have over our life? And I think this is important because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we may think of our relationship with God as the same as the relationship between Jesus and God. And we need to be clear, they're not the same. They're completely different. Because when we follow Jesus, we're giving Jesus full authority over our life. Like the path uh, to full life uh, is in Jesus. That's the path, giving him full authority. Yes, we're in this intimate relationship with him, but it's also an authoritative relationship with Jesus. Somewhat like an intimate and authoritative relationship between a parent and a child. And so if we're following Jesus, giving him authority over our lives, then we need to know what authority he comes with. And so again, let's ask ourselves, what type of authority does Jesus have over our life? Does he own our house? Or is he more like uh, we're in his Airbnb? Or he's in, I'm sorry, he's in our Airbnb. Is Jesus the boss of our life? Or do we think we're more like co-workers with him where we do our thing, he does his thing, and then sometimes we work together on things for the bigger projects of our life? Y'all, Jesus isn't our co-worker in life. No, he's the boss. We don't invite him into our house. No, he owns our house. And we need to think about this in every area of our life, how we spend our time, how we steward our money, how we view our relationships, how, where we live, how we live, how we leverage our life for God's kingdom. And so we need to ask, who has the ultimate authority? Is Jesus in our Airbnb or does he own the house? And as we go through this, understanding who it is that has the authority over our life and where the authority comes from, this is imperative for us to consider so we're aware who's, who we're handing the keys over to. And as we think about this with Christmas, the same thing is true as we think about the birth of Jesus. If we see Jesus as just some sort of religious symbol sitting in a manger scene, 
that might be nice to look at, but we won't give him any authority over life. However, if we see the birth of Jesus as the God who created the world entering into the world in the form of a human to rescue a broken humanity, which includes each of us, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to hand him over the keys of our life. So how we answer the question, who is Jesus and what authority does he have, it should completely alter the way we live. Because if Jesus is simply a religious symbol as a piece in the manger scene, nothing changes. But if Jesus is the son of God who's been given all authority over heaven and earth, including our very lives, it changes everything. And so let's look at these first two verses again. Verses 19 and 20. This is what it says. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And so what we just read is describing the relationship more specifically between Jesus and God. And also kind of indirectly how it affects us. And so if Jesus and God, if they're one and the same, and they have the keys to our life, to our very life, we should ask, what is their relationship like? Uh, do we go to God for one thing or to Jesus for another? And that we say no. Like, just like we tell our kids, mommy and daddy, we're on the same team. Jesus and God are one. They're not two separate gods. No, they're one God. Uh, they're on the same team. And so then what authority does Jesus have? Uh, Jesus has all the authority that the creator God has given him, which is all of his authority. Verse 19 says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. To say that a different way, if God doesn't show Jesus, Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus and God are in perfect sync with each other. Whatever God does, Jesus does. Whatever God shows Jesus, Jesus can do. And so what we see here is that Jesus' realm of authority is based on what God allows him to have and to see. And what does God allow Jesus to see? What is it that Jesus is, what is Jesus's realm of authority? We'll look at verse 20. It says, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. <laughs> so what does God show Jesus? He shows him all that he is doing. And so when Jesus turned water into wine, God showed that to Jesus and Jesus did it. When Jesus healed the sick boy and, he paral and the paralyzed man, God showed that to Jesus and Jesus did it. When Jesus called his disciples, God, uh, God showed each of them to Jesus and Jesus called them to himself. And so get this. This is what this means for us. If you're following Jesus, God showed you to Jesus and Jesus revealed himself to you and we'll get this into this more in the next point, but the reason you know Jesus today is because God saw you and told Jesus to rescue you. <laughs> That's grace. New City Church, that is grace. God saw us in the pit of our sin, running from God himself, following the ways of the world, and God told Jesus to call us to himself. That's grace. So what authority does Jesus have? Number one, Jesus has the same authority as God. 
Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus does not have less authority than God. Uh, No, God has given Jesus all of his authority. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, speaking of Jesus, says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. New City Church, you and me are included in all things. When we become Jesus followers, we're following the God of the universe who created all things, sees all things, holds all things, and knows all things. And not only that, all things, including you and me, we were created for him. Uh, We were created for Jesus to have authority over our entire life. Jesus sees each of our lives. He knows our lives. He has a plan for our life, and he has called each of us to hand over the keys of our life to Jesus, because God has given Jesus his full authority. And so let me just simply ask, what area of your life are you holding on to? What part of your life is the hardest to surrender? Does he own the entire house? Or do we treat him like an Airbnb where he can go in some rooms and not the other? Or do we have like a closet of our life, kind of like an owner's closet, maybe in an Airbnb, locked up and keeping Jesus out. You know, as we see with Jesus and God, authority and surrender, they're a two-part deal. In order for things to work well, Jesus needs to have full authority and also uh, be good and for us. Like all these things need to happen. He needs to be good and for us. And we need to not only know and trust that he has full authority, but we also need to know and trust that he is good and that he is for us. Let me just think about this. Why do Airbnb owners keep closets locked up? (laughs) Because they don't trust the people coming into their house. Those closets in our life that we keep locked up, we keep them locked up and don't surrender them to God oftentimes because we don't believe that God is good and for us. Or at least... Not enough to go into that locked up closet. Like we see, uh, we see Jesus submitted to God's authority and God submitted his authority to Jesus because they both believed and trusted that they were both good and also for each other. The difference that we have, the difference with us, is that we're not God. Like we're not equal with God and our hearts are in, in, innately deceitful. And because of that, our relationship with Jesus was designed to be entirely on the surrender side. Although oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we often get it backwards and we want all the authority and we ask Jesus to surrender to us. It's almost like we only want Jesus to stay in our Airbnb during the hard moments of our life that we invite him into. Like he can come in, stay a few nights, make us feel a little better. But as soon as he starts looking at those locked up closets, we start to push him away. But again, that's backwards. Full life comes when Jesus owns the entire house. He has access to all the closets. Jesus has all the authority and we surrender to his authority. Jesus owns the house. So I'm going to be honest with you here for a second. I'm, I try to always be honest. Uh, but one of, my, one of the areas of my own life that's often hardest to surrender in the closet of my life that I want to often keep locked up is my wallet. And here we are doing a year-end giving initiative that I know is good. And I, your pastor, have talked about uh, we each week for the past few weeks. But you know what? 
You better believe I'm right here with you having a wrestling match with God, trying to hold on to the key of that specific closet of my life because I know holding on to it, it wouldn't hurt as much. I wish I could say it was always easy for me to give, but it's not. Like this is public profession, confession time. Like my natural tendency is to hold on tight to money. My entire life, I've always loved to just watch it grow. I mean, I started doing this when I was five or six years old. I'm pretty sure I bought my wife's wedding, wedding ring uh, with the money I saved for my seventh birthday party, okay? Like that's just what happened. You know, my family has been doing year in giving like this for over eight years. And every year I go through this wrestling match with God again. And every year it shows me yet again how easily my own heart gets tied to money. And every year I have to remind myself that Jesus owns my entire life and there are no locked up closets. And every year I have to remind myself that God is good and that God is for us and that extravagant generosity is what he calls his people to. And I'll say, and I'll say that there's not a single time we've done it above and beyond year in giving like this where we wish we didn't give it. And I'm telling you, I know from personal experience Yes, we can say Jesus has my entire life. He owns everything. He has all authority in my life. But then, as soon as we bring up the topic of money, we start to get a little nervous, which is why it's one of the most talked about topics in the entire Bible. It's one of the easiest things that can grip us. But what is it for you that's often hard to surrender? Is it a relationship, your future, your lifestyle, where you live, your job, your children? What is it? Again, Jesus submits to God's authority and God has given all of his authority to Jesus. They're in perfect sync with each other. And we come into the equation, let's ask ourselves, are we doing the same? Are we surrendering all of our authority over to Jesus? But let's keep moving here and look at the next few verses. Verses 21 to 24 to see our next point. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so we start to see these last two points uh, here, but I want to first emphasize the second point. Number two, Jesus has the authority to give life. Verse 21, again, it says, For as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So God raises the dead and he gives them life. And as we saw before, Jesus does as the Father does, and Jesus gives life to whom he will. And Jesus clarifies more of what, we, what he means down in verse 24 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Okay, just to say this another way, those who hear Jesus' word, his message, and believe God who sent him has eternal life. Or more directly, He's saying those who believe the gospel have life and those who have not yet believed, Jesus is saying here, they're considered dead. Like people who are walking around and look alive, but they're spiritually dead. And the only way to become alive is by believing in Jesus, that he truly walked this earth as God himself, by believing that he lived a perfect life, he never sinned, and that he died on the cross and then rose from the dead. 
And by trusting in Jesus alone is what causes a person to cross from death to life. When a person has new life in Jesus, they're no longer dead, but the spirit of the living God enters in and gives them life. And that may sound all good, but what I want, us to, I want to make sure we all understand, uh, because when the spirit of God comes into our life, the spirit stops to knock on the door of our heart and says, hand over all of your authority. Like that part of your life that you're holding on to, hand it over to Jesus. And you, and you know what? You know what I know? This is often the part that keeps people from following Jesus. Oftentimes, you know, people like the fire insurance part that keeps them out of hell, but this authority piece makes us truly count the cost. It won't, you know, I know it won't always be perfect. It won't, be, it won't always be easy, but you know what? If Jesus is all good and, all, and also completely for us and he sees all things and he knows all things and he has a sovereign plan and a purpose for our life and remembering that he showed his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us as the greatest act of love of all time, then following him with our entire life becomes a little easier. Because when we trust Jesus and pass from death to life, he takes the keys of our life. He opens up all those locked, locked up closets and he starts to slowly and lovingly clean them up and transform them. And God then starts to use all those previously locked up closets of our life for his incredible purposes. And y'all, I, along with so many others here at New City Church, can attest this is not easy. But it is incredibly good. And it is incredibly life-giving. We have all these closets out on there and God starts to come in and starts to reorganize them and to make them beautiful. But let's keep moving here as we start to transition to our third point. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25 and 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So just like we saw in our second point, kind of start starting to transition to this third point, we're not there yet. You know, Jesus is telling these religious leaders, those who hear the voice of Jesus will live and will find life in the fullness of God. So in essence, Jesus has the power and authority at the sound of his voice to give life here on earth and also eternal life into the next. You know, this should greatly encourage us. It is not up to us to save anybody. It's in the authority given to Jesus to call out and to save. Yes, we labor, we share, we speak the gospel, and God uses us as tools in his hands. But y'all, it is entirely in the hands of God to bring eternal life. Jesus opens up the eyes of the blind. Jesus drags people from the binding grips of death. He opens up their ears to hear, and then Jesus saves them. Jesus is the one with the authority to call out and save sinners and to help people see the true beauty of God. And do you know how, free, how freeing this is for me and also should be for you too? You know, like I spend hours every week laboring to make the Bible clear and, and hopefully easy to understand, praying for God to save and to bring people from death to life, hoping that these words will fuel life into each of our souls. But do you know why this is so freeing? Because it's not my words, it's not my thoughts or my illustrations, it's not up to me. It is entirely up to God. The Spirit of God is what breathes life into your soul, not me. And you know what? 
God uses each of us who bumble, mumble, and fumble through the gospel. And in our bumbling and mumbling about the beauty and grace of Jesus, God still calls out and saves people and breathes life into their soul. Just like we saw in the book of Ezekiel. God enters into the valley of dry bones. He simply speaks out and calls out. And at the sound of his word, like we see here in verse 25, God breathes new life into dead, dry bones. This is what Jesus, the Son of God, does with all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus calls out and makes the dead live. New City Church, take heart. God is in the business of raising the dead and breathing life into the souls of dry bones. But let's look back at verses 23 and 24 again to see our last point. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So yes, Jesus breathes life and gives life, but he also, number three, has all authority to judge. Jesus has all authority to judge. Verse 22 says, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now, I found this so interesting this week and honestly scratched my head a little bit about it uh, because, wait a second, like, isn't God the judge? And to that, we have to say yes. Romans 8, 33 uh, says, it is God who justifies. Uh, and we see God as judge throughout the entire Old Testament. But remember, God has handed all authority over to Jesus. Look again at verse 23. Right after he says, all judgment is given to the Son, he says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So as God, uh, so God is the one who deems guilty or not guilty, but he does it through Jesus. And what makes us guilty before God? Our sin. Like every lie we tell, every ounce of pride we may have, every wrong we've ever done, it deems us guilty before God. And what makes us not guilty before God? Trusting in Jesus at the cross. Jesus is the only way. In essence, when we come before God on judgment day, we will stand before Jesus and he will either say, I know you or I don't know you. And if someone doesn't know Jesus in a trusting and saving way, they cannot get to God. They're deemed guilty. The way to God is through Jesus. And yes, this is important for us, each of us individually and personally to know, but this is also important for others to know. Look down at verse 27. We see more of this explained. Verse 27 says, And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 27, we see it again. God has given him, uh, that being Jesus, all authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. We'll come back to this idea of the son of man uh, because that's important. But in verse 30, we see that Jesus can do nothing on his own. As he hears, he judges, he seeks to do the will of the father. Again, the father and the son are in perfect harmony together. They're in constant agreement. But then look at verses 28 and 29 again. 
It says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is the second time we've seen Jesus uh, referring to his voice. The first time he said, it's here, it's now. Like he was referring to the right now presence of his voice calling out. The second time in what we just read, he said, the hour is coming. It's not here, but this time, this hour is coming. And he's referring to the final judgment. When in the last days, when all is said and done, he's saying that everybody will hear the voice of Jesus. And on the last day, we will either be pointed to the resurrection of life or to the resurrection of judgment. Everybody. Your mother, your father, your children, your friend, your siblings, your coworkers, your neighbors, everybody will hear the voice on Judgment Day. LeBron James, Will Smith, Michael Jordan, Oprah, every president, every athlete, every movie star will hear the voice on Judgment Day. No discrimination. Every person in Tampa Bay, every person in Halifax, Canada, where we're hoping to partner, we're partnering with the church plant this year, in the Dominican Republic, in South Asia, in Central Asia, including, also including those places where nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus, everybody on the planet, past, present, and future, will hear the voice of Jesus and face judgment. Y'all, this is not gloom and doom, this is reality. And the only difference between eternal life with God and eternal judgment apart from God is Jesus, the one with the authority to judge. If they know the name of Jesus and have believed in Jesus, they gain eternal life. If they don't know Jesus or if they've never heard his name or if they've never even been told his name, if they don't know the name of Jesus and they have not believed in him, the final ruling is eternal judgment. And this, my friends, is why we go to our neighbors and to the nations. This is why we give money to missionaries who are to take the name of Jesus to the people who have never heard the name of Jesus, hoping and praying with these missionaries that those who have never heard the name of Jesus will hear the gospel and that Jesus will save them. You know, everybody on the planet will be judged by Jesus. It's eternal life or eternal judgment, and trusting in Jesus is the difference. You know, this is why Jesus is so important. He is so sweet and full of everlasting life to some. And in the process, Jesus comes in and transforms those previously locked up closets of our life. And it's a beautiful thing. And he has the keys to our life. But to others, Jesus seems like a bitter judge. Jesus is the sound of sweet life to some and bitter death to others. And may we pray and give and go with total abandonment, continually handing over the keys of our life so that others around us and around the world may taste the sweetness of life. May we hand over the keys of our life, giving Jesus full authority over our future, our children, our career plans, our ambitions, over our relationships, over our bank account, over our time, our talent, in order to do whatever it takes to get the sweetness of Jesus to every person on the planet who will on the last day have Jesus call out to them and some will know him and some will not. Y'all, this is why our church exists. We exist to get the name of Jesus to our neighbor and to the ends of the earth, to the nations. 
We exist to leverage everything we have, every closet of our life for the kingdom of God. And to close out our time, I want us to look back at verse 27 to see why Jesus has all authority to judge. Look at verse 27. God has given him all authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So nine times, Jesus was referred to as the son of God, and here he's referred to as the son of man. That's different. This just calls us to ask questions and dig. And this name, the son of man, it comes from the book of Daniel, a prophetic book in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. And in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, look at what it says. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, like the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the, he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And here in John chapter 5, Jesus is saying he is the son of man. Jesus is the one who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. He was the one who has all authority. Jesus is the one where all peoples and all nations and all, and all languages will serve him. Jesus is the one who has an everlasting kingdom that will never pass away and never be destroyed. Y'all, Jesus is a big deal. That baby lying in the manger is not merely a religious symbol. That baby lying in the manger is the one who, without a doubt, have rule and dominion over all peoples all over the world. That baby lying in the manger was given all of God's authority, which includes the authority to give life and the authority to judge the earth. And those who hand over their life to Jesus enter into his everlasting kingdom, and those who don't will not enter into his kingdom. You see, church, the birth of Jesus was a picture of hope, showing how Jesus entered into a dark world with a plan of global, worldwide redemption. Oh, I love Christmas and everything that surrounds it. But Christmas is not about Rudolph. It's not about Christmas presents, Hallmark Christmas movies, and peppermint mochas, okay? It's all about Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, our rescuer. It's all about our ruler, our life giver, and our judge. And we don't talk about global missions and the mission of God around Christmas for no reason. We talk about it because that's why Jesus came to earth. Jesus was born in order to then die, in order to then redeem a broken world. And our part in the process is to simply hand over the keys of our entire life, hand all authority over to Jesus. And when that happens, we end up doing things like telling our neighbors and telling the nations about the sweetness of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we need your help. You have, we have such a high and waiting calling that you have called each of us to. But Father, we do it in the power, with the power and the authority that has been given to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and you have given him as our God. Father, we pray that we would trust him and that we would open up the keys of our entire life and hand them over to him. Father, if there's someone here, maybe few people here that have not trusted in Jesus, Father, would you, right now in this moment, would they hand their keys over to Jesus and say, take my life. God, you're, you're calling people from all over the world. And Father, we want to also see you call people right here in, in Tampa. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.